Welcome to our Digital Disruptor series, where we profile companies and innovations that are set to remake and reshape industries, companies, and the economy. We hope you'll enjoy our interviews and always welcome any comments and suggestions. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Momenta Podcasts. With us today is Francois Laborie of Cognite, and he is the president of Cognite in North America. And we'll get into this a little bit, but uh, uh, Cognite is a, uh, a company that's uh, really focused on data. And in particular, they're doing a lot of really interesting work around uh, industrial data. So get uh, hewing very close to our passions here around industrial IoT. Uh, they're they're doing some uh, some fascinating work, so we'll we'll, we'll dive in a, a bit deeper. Uh, but Francois, first of all, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Ed. Great. Well, first, I'd like to start with a little context and, and a bit of background, and understand a bit of uh, you know your you know your history and you know what what brought you to uh, you know to to your focus and and ultimately to your your current role at uh, at Cognite. Well, that, that's interesting. Looking back, uh, I, I don't very often do that. But when I'm when I'm thinking about the path I took, I I actually started working with industry and industrial players when I when I started my career uh, back in 2001. I, I I joined Airbus Airbus Group, uh, which was called EADS at that time, European Space and and uh, Defense uh, and. Uh, and back then, I was I was already a, a computer scientist myself, and, uh, and I was uh, I joined the research team, and we worked very closely with the operations. So, uh, and I knew nothing of aeronautics when I, when I joined them. I really had a pure computer science, computer vision background. And uh, and as I started working with uh, with the ADS, we uh, we were asked to work very closely with uh, not just the uh, the engineering teams, uh, which which had super interesting challenges, but but also with the operations on the show floor where they were assembling the planes. And uh, and that's where I realized that there is so much opportunity working with with uh, heavy industrial players because the complexity of the operation, uh, the amount of people involved, and the processes involved uh, can really benefit from technology on multiple levels. So, so that was really an interesting start of the career. And I came back obviously when I joined Cognite to to these to these first experiences and. Uh, uh, so, so back at Airbus, we I, I worked on together with the engineers. Uh, Airbus had this vision. So, EADS in general and Airbus in particular were spearheading what was called at that time the, the virtual mockup or the digital mockup. Uh, and what that meant was that they were they were building uh, a massive plane, the A380, um, and they were building it entirely virtually. So, using CAD, using on, only digital systems and. And that was extremely early on. There were, there were no other programs that had been doing that, at least in Airbus and, and, and even globally for, for the major aircraft manufacturers. And uh, and working together with the engineers and trying to support them there. So they were working remotely. They were having a, a full chain of suppliers. It, it's, it was really at that time... Uh, something that was eye-opening for me because I, I not only realized that it was about the technology, but it was also about the way the people worked. And, and, and actually that, was, that led to the topic of my PhD, which was collective decision-making. Right? So, so, so it's how do we put together, make decisions. And it was heavily applied to industry and, and, and aeronautics in that, in that sense. 
Uh, I also worked on the assembly lines. Uh, and there again, I, I had no idea what that was like. So, so I, I was on the floor. Uh, at that time, it was the A380 program that was assembled in, in Toulouse, where, where I grew up and, and where I worked. And uh, they were having massive issues with multiple suppliers. I mean, Airbus is traditionally a plane that is built, you know, it's a European plane, and you could even say it was a global plane already at that time, where you had parts of the plane that were coming from all over Europe, and they were being shipped or freighted to, uh, to Toulouse and assembled there. And, and since things changed and things had delayed, so you were having people coming from Germany, from Spain, contractors being involved in these massive hangars. And they were doing hundreds of tasks in parallel where they had huge amount of interconnection between all the tasks and interdependencies. So, so that's when we started playing, as much as in, in the engineering side, we were playing with digital mock-up and 3D models sharing. Here it was, it was really about giving the information to the user, the information they needed in order to know what they had to do and, and in order to be aware of the context in which they were doing it. So knowing what the other team, the German team on the other side of the plane was doing, because that may impact what's the current sheet was saying they should be doing today. And uh, and so we deployed some of the first tablets on the field. They were, they were pretty heavy things. Uh, and they, they didn't really have a very long battery, but the user really appreciated it. And we also started playing with AR. So we had some of the first headsets uh, deployed as well. And that was a little bit less of a success. It was giving massive headaches. Uh, it was also very, very cumbersome, a lot of wires, very poor battery. But but it was it was really starting to show the path to a lot of things that have been discussed in the industry and that are still not rolled at scale in the in the industry today. Today and and that was really really fascinating as an experience. Um, and and so that that was my first really interaction with both industry and whole technology could be applied in industry. And then I. Actually, on the personal side, I, I fell in love and I moved to Norway. And, and I was very lucky to join. As I moved to Norway, I joined a software company that was working at the, with media exclusively. And um, and it was, I mean, in the media side, uh, on the distribution, there was a massive change ongoing when, when it comes to, to uh, the on-demand revolution and, and the change of the distribution channel. But on the production side, there was also a lot of challenges. And, and that company, when I joined, there were a little over 100 people uh, operating in a few countries already. And, and, and I was part of a journey of growing it to around 600 people in 40, 40 countries. And we were working with all the major broadcasters around the world, most of the sports leagues around the world, and helping them on the production side. Uh, and, and really focusing on live production. I mean, the value of live, as I'm sure you're aware, has, has been increasing tremendously. So live original content production was something that was really, really important for, for a lot of a lot of our customers. And, and our focus as a software company was going to an industry and saying, you do not need uh, you specialized hardware in order to produce this content. I mean, computers are more than powerful enough to help you producing full shows and, and, and covering full events on, on the sports side. And that resonates quite a lot with some of the things you see in the industry right now. But, but it, all, it was also uh, coming to these players and saying, well, actually, the journalists used to used to do very defined tasks and you had a lot of people collaborating in order to produce a piece. And that, that's just simply not economical enough. And that's, that's simply, I mean, it's boxing people. So, so you had very disconnected uh, teams working on, 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 on a single piece, on a single event. And, and our approach coming from Norway, which was a very high cost, but also very progressive country when it comes to technology adoption, was to say, actually, we will empower the user to perform their full task. So we'll empower the journalists to actually be able to create 
edits his piece, add the voiceover, add the graphics, or to enable the producer to actually produce the full show. And, and what that meant was that you had a lot of intelligence in the software. You had great UIs that were brought up. And, and it was about efficiency and empowerment, and also, of course, overall uh, allowing people to produce more content. Uh, so uh, there again, you, <laughs> these are things that, that I took with me as I, as, as I moved to Cognite because it is about changing the way people work. It's about giving them the right tools, the right information in order to make them more efficient. Uh, and and as, I, as I joined Cognite, then that's, uh, that's where I, I really I reconnected my, my roots in the industry and then everything that I'd been doing in real-time software and enterprise software when, when I was working with VizRT. No, that's a great, uh, that's some great background. And, and I think it's unusual to be able to have that experience both in, in media and in industry around data, just because, you know, the business problems around industrial data are, you know, are, are enormous and, and sprawling. Absolutely. But also when you're dealing with media, this, you know, this ability, the need to create uh, and tag and organize this unstructured data does, you know, presents a whole different set of challenges. So um, I, I think that's great great perspective and in, in you know being able to attack some of the you know some of the bigger problems around um, you know managing industrial data so you know I'd love to turn a bit to uh, to cognite and if you could tell us just a, you know tell me a little bit about you know what what the the company's uh, mission is and the focus and and you know what are some of the what were the some of the business problems that were uh, that that had attracted the the founders to you know really just to start up the company. Yeah, that, that's a great question, and, and you mentioned it's a bigger challenge, and indeed it is a bigger challenge, right? I mean, the 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 customers we work with are the customers that are that are effectively keeping our our world running, right? Whether whether we're talking about energy customers, uh, which which are both providing the fuel and keeping the lights on, uh, people that work in transportation, keeping that work, people that or, or customers that work in in the um, in the manufacturing segments. So so these are really, really different scale uh, of customers. And they're having very often they're hidden behind the scene, but but they're without them the world doesn't run. And 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 I think that's really a fascinating uh, fascinating challenge. And so the mission of Cognites really is is to not just liberate the data that they have, but also to effectively enable them to uh, to operate uh, in a completely different fashion. And, and maybe I'll, I'll take a few steps back there. And Cognite originates from uh, actually the industry itself. Uh, so so the the founder the founder of Cognite, uh, Dr. Lervik, worked very closely with uh, Acker, which is one of the largest industrial conglomerates or industrial owners in, in Norway uh, that, that has really portfolio companies spanning from fishing, uh, uh, agro, and to oil and gas, to energy. So, so they, they really have a, a very wide portfolio of, of, of companies. And they were profound believers in the, the ability of technology to transform the way they're working. But they were also very frustrated by the fact that they were doing great POCs. They were working with with great companies, great partners. And they were, but but at the end of the day, having very little impact on the operations. So they, they could they could see clearly that there was a disconnect. And I'm not talking about the traditional operating technologies. I'm talking about uh, making use of the data and what people normally wrap under these big terms of digitalization. So they were doing advanced analytics project. They were doing uh, they were doing a lot of transformation uh, uh, transformation 
proof of concept tests. But at the end of the day, very little was impacting their day-to-day operation. And when they started looking at the problem, uh, they they uh, they realized very quickly that uh, there were a few factors that were preventing them from really getting the impact that they should have on, on these initiatives. Um, the, the first of them is that very often the POC uh, were taking too much effort and time to get the right data in order to, to give a result. So, so they were spending far too much time looking and going spelunking for the right data in order to build the right algorithm, the right visualization tool or predictive model or what have you, and, and to fuel the process that, that should come out of it. Uh, and, and so they, they ended up spending far too much time understanding and gathering the data. The, the other issue was that they quickly realized that this was never going to be something that would solve on their own. Uh, these are these are massive challenges. Uh, they take, uh, I mean, they have a lot of domain expertise. They have a, they they are specialists, obviously, in what they're doing, which is operations on on heavy industries. Uh, but but some of the competences they would need to solve their problems would have to come from partners. They would have to come from an ecosystem of partners. Mm-hmm. And the only way to attract an ecosystem of partners is to start by admitting that. And 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 if you take that. A statement to it to its conclusion, it means that you are ready to change the way you work with your ecosystem of partners, and you're going to have to be a lot more open about inviting them to solve the problems. It cannot be just a traditional uh, supplier-buyer uh, relationship, uh, and that had that has had a really profound impact in the way Cognite was structured. So, and the last realization was that uh, again. They were not software. They, they didn't have software competences to build something like a data platform. So they they had they were very clear from the start that they wanted a the product. They believed that that the ability to extract this data, make sense of it, so that they could scale, was something that that would benefit so many other actors in the industry that they were certain they would find a product to help them do that. So they they set out to to do this, and they went at that time. So that was a little over three years ago, and, and they talked to obviously G Predix. They talked to the a lot of the cloud vendors and really a lot of players in this industry. And, and after doing this tour, they, they were really at the conclusion that it was it was either uh, very smart people doing great applications, but not really trying to, to have a holistic view on how to make the data available at scale. So they, they used to say available like oxygen, so that anybody, I mean, you need it to breathe and it should be available like oxygen. Uh, so they found clever company doing machine learning, doing AI, and they were piping data, but nothing that was at scale. Um, the other thing they found was a lot of people that were ready to sell services, so bespoke, uh, using technology bricks, but really bespoke solutions. And again, you go back to their belief that this is not going to be the future. The future, this, this has to be a product because then they can, they can rise with the tide as, as, the, as the solution gets better and more customers are using it, then they would benefit from features and insights provided by new customers. So, so that was the, really the, uh, the cradle that created, that created Cognite. They, they decided there was an opportunity there. They were, they were working with Jan Marcus Lervik on, 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 on some of these initiatives. And, and basically they said, well, if, if it doesn't exist, then we have to create it because it certainly is going to benefit the industry. And, and they uh, they had a, they had a discussion about well, how do we go about building such a company, and it, it was pretty clear that it had to be an independent company. It had to be a software company in its DNA. So it, it's it really had to be focused on building a product uh, with software competences, and but it had to be anchored in the industrial reality. It could, could not be something that that would be built in California or in a garage. It had to be built really in close collaboration with the industrial actors to understand 
because data is such a generic term. What, what are we talking about here? What type of use case? What type of value are we talking about? And um, and that whole cognite really was created with a mandate to build a really a top software software team that would be working very closely with the first customer that would be provided by Acre, which was Acre BP, which is a joint venture between Acre and and, and British Petroleum in in the Norwegian continental shelf. And yeah. Oh no! I was just going to say. I mean, those are they're you're talking about uh, you know certainly some some massive data sets to uh, to to start with. I um I, I'm just I as I as you 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 discussed the business problem. I'd be interested to get your per, you know perspective on you know how different and how difficult data from industrial systems uh, can, you know can be compared to uh, some of the data from your traditional enterprise uh, you know, Enterprise applications or or media, I guess from from your perspective, yeah, if you if you could compare maybe compare and contrast your experience yeah, there. That's that's a great question. And so so and and that's really the base and the fundamentals, right? You could say data is one and zero. So what's what's the big difference? And that would be a fair comment. But but if you want to actually do something with that data, it has to have a meaning. So you cannot just stay at at the I don't know at the IoT stream that you're receiving or or as the at the ERP reference that you're receiving. Or you need to understand you need to understand the data in a context so that you can provide it. You can share it with these partners, whether they're so that they can create value out of it. Uh, and 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 what we're looking at here is. Is then data that would be describing if I, if I take some of, some of our process customers right they would describe a process so there's there's a flow uh, it would describe it would be attached to an equipment or an asset so it's not just ones and zeros you need to understand that this is actually a pressure sensor that is attached to say a pump and you may want to know for that pump what has been happening to it recently right what are, what are, who has been touching it last uh, when has it been bought uh, what does it look like today. So has it been rust? Are there cracks? Um, do we have oil samples that have been taken? What is connected to it on electrical standpoints, on a in a flow and a process standpoint? So, so you, you start here, right? Here we're talking about in order to answer these questions, you need to start looking at data in very much in a context and you need to be able to rebuild that context because that's the big challenge. The context doesn't exist in, in, in many of our industrial customers because it's it's either locked into a system or it's just named very differently across systems, or for some of the operational data, no, nobody on the IT world knows how to actually make use of it and connect it back to to, uh, to a representation that would be useful for data scientists or for for uh, for for specialists to use. So, so I, is that answering your question, Ed? Oh yeah, no, that's uh, that's 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 great. And I'd love to talk a bit about some of the you know some of the. Technology that you're uh, you're you're developing and and understand a bit of the you know the approach you're taking. Sure. So so maybe before jumping into the technology, there's there's an interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting to look at it about. Okay, so so we talk in data here and insights, but what's the value, right? What type of use cases? What type of value are you creating for your customers? And 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 when you start looking at the usage of the data, uh, you find three big categories. And the first category is just actually giving it to the people who need it. And, and that's I go back to what, what I was doing in Airbus initially, which was there was very little intelligence in it. There was some optimization for planning, but but really at the end of the day, it was allowing the, the, the operator, the technician working to get the right information for him or her to operate. And and this is still true. I mean, a lot of a lot of value 
in most of our customers and can be taken by just giving the right information to the right people. So, so here you're looking at displaying data, displaying uh, whether that's dashboard or that's that's mobile data or it's 3D models, or but getting, getting them the data that is somewhere here locked into a system and making it available for them. So here you have a whole set of technology regarding real-time data display uh, and also real-time data consumption so that it can get accurate, up-to-date data to, to visualize. Uh, the second big category is, is actually starting to use data and feed it to a machine or an algorithm to, to actually increase our understanding of what is happening on the operation. And that can mean uh, starting to give in insights that are not necessarily perceivable. So, for example, doing computer vision uh, on equipment to, to, to be able to, to know uh, what is happening right now, where are people located for HSC concerns or whether there's rust developing right now. Uh, or it can be to start making prediction, right? What is the remaining useful lifetime of, of, my, of my asset or my piece of equipment? Or starting to ask questions like, uh, I have, I'm operating a huge uh, power network um, and, and what are the chances for vegetation to encroach with my grid? So that, that's a huge risk of fire. So use, give me the data you have and I'm going to build pro, pro, programs that will tell me what are my risks and where are my risks. Uh, so, so augmenting the data. And here you have a range of technologies to do that. And, and, uh, and actually that's, that's a place where we have learned a lot uh, because our original intention was to say, okay, with ML, uh, I mean, we're going to reuse this data use machine learning to it and build great predictions out of it. Not so simple. Um, and the third category is actually, going back to some of the philosophical standpoint, is actually to allow for the data to be easily shared so that you can create new insights. And, and that's, that's extremely important and extremely powerful because what you do when you start being able to share the data is that you also impact the business model of our customers. So yeah, I'll give you two examples there. First one is, is uh, a lot of our, the heavy, uh, the asset, I mean, the heavy assets operators are using huge expensive equipments. Uh, and the business model they have with their suppliers is that they would buy the equipment on a, on a capex basis and then they would have to maintain it and they would pay time and material and spare parts to maintain the equipment. At the end of the day, their core competence is not to be an expert on a compressor or turbine or, or generator. Their core competence is to actually assemble it into, into an operation. Um, so by being able to share data with their suppliers, they actually can start trading hardware for actual insights and maybe all the way to performances. And, and there again, Aeronautic has been very early on there where you have all these, all these, um, these models of performance-based contracts where you will sell a jet engine by the hour or by the kilometer. And, and, and the same type of transition is happening with the industry. And the only way you can do that and the, and the manufacturers can afford to take the risk is if he, has, he, he or she has insights on how the equipment is behaving, how it's operated, so that, that he can commit to performances of this piece of equipment. So that's one, one very important change in the business model. And some of these equipment manufacturers are potential clients for, for Cognite, obviously. Um, the, the, other, the other interesting piece is when you, you actually realize and accept that, that as, as an operator, you don't necessarily have the competence to solve all of the problems. Uh, also because you, I mean, fortunately, this equipment doesn't fail very often, right? So, so you may not have all the insights you need in order to understand what failure looks like. So you can start sharing this data with other suppliers. And, and uh, as Cognite, we built a lot of t-shirts stating data liberation fronts, and we, we actually encourage our customers to share some of their data. Not, not this, I mean, there will always be somebody that's business critical, but changing the paradigm to everything is 
critical except to actually everything can be shared except. And, and what we see there is that uh, our customers start sharing data with some of their quote-unquote competitors because that may allow them to actually be more efficient. I mean, a lot of this is around uh, is around sustainable goals attainment, for example. So how do I operate better my equipment so that I, I, I have less environmental impacts? And these are things that all, all the operators are, are willing to share and, and, and learn from. Um, other things can be sharing with uh, smaller, smaller players in the market, so startups or, or new companies, and giving easily access to data to these companies to allow them, to give them a chance to show what smartness they can bring to the customer. Initially, and, and we've been going through that, it's, it's an extremely cumbersome process right now to get data from an industrial. While if they make it easy to share data, then they have the opportunity to actually engage with a huge ecosystem of talents. No, so, that's oh yeah. Go ahead, go ahead and finish your. Uh, no, I, I didn't answer your question on the technology, so I'm, I'm oh, happy to talk okay. about that as well. But but that was more a, a little bit more about why, because I, I think that's that really is is and should be our primary driver, right? What, what is the value of it for our customers? No, uh, I, it did it did it did strike me that yeah. I think the um, I mean you are hitting on the you know this sort of powerful downstream effect of, of being able to empower companies with uh, you know with easy access to data from heterogeneous sources in a way that is uh, you know that I mean what you've just described is you know is really profound. It's it's business model changes and and really a complete rethinking of mm. of, of competitive dynamics as well. Too. And and historically, we've seen you know companies in the financial services industry, for instance, pool data to develop credit scores, right? Even though yes. they're competitors, right? Uh, everybody benefits by having more accurate abilities to predict. But I think what you just articulated is is really a you know an extension of that concept to uh, industrial. Uh, you know, just more sort of hard, you know, hard manufacturing, hard goods uh, companies, and that's a, quite a significant change. So I just thought that was remarkable. It was uh, anyway, didn't 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 want to didn't want to knock you off track there because I I, I do want to hear about the technology. Thank you, and, and and you're right, right? It's it's about moving all of these concepts that have been present in a lot of industry to more the operational part of it, and 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 the. the the dirty, greasy parts of, of it, where where, where actually the, the production happens, and and, uh, and and that brings us to the technology, right? How do you empower this type of this type of concept? And and uh, and if you're saying that you're not just going to connect with IT uh, IT type of infrastructure and IT type of data, which is very often tabular data that is that is pretty well structured, but you say, well, I'm going to combine that with the operational data, which can come from sensors, from control systems, but from cameras, from diagrams that are done from the outset, right? They've been printed somewhere and no machine can understand them like that. Uh, so, so, so that becomes a very, very interesting technology problem uh, where you have to actually apply extractors and work very closely on the security side to to get access to that data, and and uh, and as you can imagine, I mean, security is paramount. If if uh, for, for for these players, some some of them are I mean, not driving the full infrastructure of a country or or generating most of the um, the, uh, the income for for uh, for some of some of the countries uh, that they operate in. So 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 it is it is really critical that um, on the on the data extraction and, and, and parts, there is a there is a very thorough process of where you embed this technology and where in the where in the um, in the layers of, of security you embed these technologies. And there's a lot of work being done on the on the edge 
uh, for for data extraction. I think there's there's still quite a lot to be to be done and developed there. And the second the second element of it is okay, but where now I'm I'm extracting this data. Uh, but it's still not making any mean, any meaningful, giving me any meaningful insight because the data is as it was in the in the source systems. So so that's where we look at con what we call contextualization, which is which is effectively fusing the data together. So so you can start asking question here. I'm interested in that compressor. Tell me everything you know about it. What is it connected to? What are the sensors? What happened to it? Uh, what type of insight do you already know from it in the future? And and to do that, that's where you. You need to use a range of technologies. Uh, so some of them will be based on machine learning, trying to understand and find patterns that allow you to understand the data that you're manipulating and what it is associated to. Uh, but you also want to involve and crowdsource some of these insights to users so that they can help you understanding some of it and you learn from them and you start creating rules from them. Uh, you also combine that with computer vision to, for example, analyze printed out documents that's so, so a layout document, for example, where, where you're going to actually analyze it, understand what it means, and be able to represent it in a way that can later be queried by a machine, so that you, the machine by itself can have an algorithm say, saying, show me two steps downstream or two steps upstream, or show me all the pieces that are connected between this equipment and that equipment, show me anything in the middle. Uh, so, so, and and to, to describe this type of, of uh, complex relationships, that's where... Uh, people would normally use graph, right? A graph as a technology has become very popular. Uh, it has a lot of challenges when it comes to you scaling this to millions of data points, petabytes of data, tens of millions of documents, which is which is what effectively we're talking about for a single customer in that case. So there are big engineering challenges. And, and in order to solve these challenges, our approach has been very firm from the start and has been on-premise is really not the way to go. You have to do that on the cloud because the, the type of elasticity and resources you're going to need to perform this at scale in a reliable fashion and in a secure fashion will force you to use cloud infrastructure. And and and, and you see, uh, and it's funny because in the media world, we, I was exactly through the same discussions, right? You need to move to cloud to get access to on-demand elasticity and also Really, somebody. I mean, the cloud vendors really specialize in in maintaining uh, this infrastructure and any security. So it would be a tremendous cost for any of our customers to actually maintain the same same amount of staffing to and competences to do the same. So 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 that's part of, part of the equation is 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 convincing this uh, this heavy industries to to embrace the cloud as a way to make sense of the data. The, the, the terabytes and not petabytes of data that they have and, and, and that we are collecting. And then, then you need to be able to consume it, right? And then you need to make, make it so that it's extremely fast to consume. And there again, the cloud is, is, is your ally because, because you can really leverage a lot of the cloud technology. And if you think about some of the, some of the technology, take, take big table from Google, right? That, that is powering really the, 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 the AdWords and, and the, the AI behind the AdWords, AdWords globally in a synchronized fashion. These are the type of technology that, that you need if you really want to give performances to the users uh, while maintaining huge amount of data in real time, in sub-second fashion, uh, accessible. No, that that makes uh, no, that makes an enormous amount of sense. I would love to get a sense of uh, you know who were you, some of your you know your initial uh, customers and and, uh, and 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 some of the use cases that you're you know where you're finding 
you know, I would say the kind of the most most promising adoption and or the most impactful adoption. Well, that's uh, yes, that's uh, that's a great question, right? Where is the impact? Where do we see not just the customer adoption? Where do we see, but where do we see that that we can make an impact? And and as I mentioned, we started with the oil and gas, so that that's a very strong vertical for us on the operator side, uh, where we started with uh, I mentioned AKBP, but we're also working with a number of operators in Europe, uh, OMV, Winschaldia. Some of the small operators as well, uh, and some some very large uh, global uh, global oil and gas operators, and and there, you see really the, the applications are in in empowering them to perform first of all the visualization and data access that we mentioned, right, and and that can shave off uh, mobile working application shaves off fifty percent of the time to perform uh, to perform uh, the uh, the monitoring tasks. Uh, it can it can take out, uh, I mean, it can increase up to 70% the, the on-tool timing, so the amount of work they can actually do, because now they have the data to do it rather than radioing home. And so so, so you're you're having a pretty big impact in just giving the, these, these people the, the right information. But then when you start mixing it with with some predictive model, and, and, and there again, there's a very interesting trend where we're using not just data science approach, but blending it with physics-based and the, the, the good old physics-based simulation, then we can help them optimize how they run their operations. And here you're talking about 10 millions of dollars every year that can be saved in just optimizing the way they operate single pieces of equipment because they will improve the production on, on, on this piece of equipment because we can dynamically tell them what is happening inside this separator or this, uh, this compressor so that they can optimize how much production they can get uh, while remaining within very safe limits of operations, and and these are proven already results, right? And and so in oil and gas, there's a, there's a lot to be to be gained by data visualization and then predictive models. And of course, moving to performance-based contracts uh, has been having a, a huge impact. They they reported uh, they reported 100 improvements on the uptime of the machinery. So they doubled the uptime and the uh, the availability of the of the machinery. Uh, and while at the same time lowering their costs and their risk, so so really big impacts. When you move to some of the customers we have on the energy segment, then we we're working with Statnet, who owns and operates the grid in Norway. Uh, and Norway has has these interesting challenges of a very harsh weather, uh, very harsh environment, uh, where keeping the grid operational is a big challenge. But at the same time, the highest penetration of electric vehicles, uh, a huge proportion, I mean, the, the vast majority of the uh, the uh, energy production that is based on renewables, hydro being the main source of it. So we have also customers that are operating hydro plants. Uh, and, and there the type of upside that we see is enabling resilience of the grid, so predicting failures, optimizing the usage of the grid based on patterns of consumption, uh, but also optimizing on the production side, the reliability of the equipment. Uh, and there again, you, you're talking about millions of dollars uh, and for, for any of these optimizations. Um, if I look at our shipping customers, uh, it's, there are two very interesting areas, right? So they're interested in uh, optimizing the logistics around the, the shipping operations. So, so there you have optimizing, it's really a supply chain optimization, but we also very often and, and most of the time involved in optimizing uh, the, the handling of the ship itself, where where you, I mean, fuel is the biggest cost center. So optimize anything you can do in order to optimize uh, the, or minimize the fuel consumption uh, is going to be 
a great benefit uh, for for the uh, the, op- the owner and operator. And that means gathering real-time data, combining with weather data, and really a lot of data sources, and making sure that you can you can provide insights on what route should be taken, what operations should be performed. And there you see, I mean, up to forty percent improvement. That that's huge amount. It's huge amounts of, of of savings that can be done. No, that's uh, it's really a com- uh, compelling when you see the uh, see the the impact of technology being applied. Um, would love to get your sense of you know, uh, in terms of alternatives. I mean, when you're uh, you know when you're working with customers and and, and opportunities, um, you know what are what are your customers wrestling with? Are they you know have they historically uh, you know had to deal with uh, building solutions themselves? Are there uh, do you find yourselves having to compete against others with similar ideas or um or or is this still is this still a greenfield opportunity where you're involved with really evangelizing and and teaching people about the potential of what they can do with data so so it's a mix of things and i think you spot on that when you talk about uh, homegrown initiatives that's that's what we find most of the time and that's quite natural right and our customers are well aware of the opportunity that lies in the data. So, so they've been trying to to make to liberate that data and make it useful for their operations for, for a number of years. So there's always a number of initiatives ongoing and trying to build some level of data liberation and contextualization. Uh, and and the whole idea there is is to is to embrace this and, and explain how I mean how how you will benefit from a product approach, right? How, how you will benefit from new features that benefit our customers, but also how you need to speed this up. And you need to think about it and think about this approach in a, in a holistic way so that the data model you adopt will allow you to scale to new use cases, not just the ones that you can think about today, but the moment you will want to add video, images, point clouds, LiDAR. So, so you will want the model to be able to handle uh, these type of new data structures. Uh, and 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 that's uh, so that, that is always an interesting discussion. Um, there there are a number of competitors. I mean, the, the the cloud vendors are democratizing, of course, access to to these resources, uh, uh, so computing resources, uh, managed services, which which encourage and 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 rightfully so encourage the, the build up of platforms uh, on the clouds. Now, what what we find is that most of the people that we meet are focusing on the end applications. And you've interviewed a few actually in this series of podcasts, uh, and, and there's great value in building AI models, in building applications that will that will drive the value. But but in our perspective, we embrace this as a partnership, and we work with actually we have a very wide partnership network from incumbents like Siemens or Honeywell to newcomers in the, in the fields. And, and again, you have interviewed Uptake, uh, and, and we could we could mention a number of of the AI-driven companies. Uh, so. so from the outset, again, uh, it looks like a competing offering, but when, when the customer understands the need for scale and the need for a rich ecosystem to actually drive the value from digitalization or drive the value from this data, then it becomes a very different positioning between, uh, between our offering and what is, what is currently in the field, in the, in, in the market, sorry. Great. What are some of the uh, you know the, the the challenges that you find as you know as you as as you go to market, you know, in terms of uh, implementing your and realizing your vision? And I'm speaking really more broadly than just you know just just the cognite uh, technology and your customers. But um, you know, what do you see as you know current 
obstacles or uh, impediments or you know so roadblocks choke points whether they be you know technological organizational not so much regulatory at this point but you know to as as you look toward down the road to envision the really kind of the full realization of this of your of your vision and your customer's vision you know what are some of those challenges that are that you know that are most near term and over the long term Hmm. So, so I, I think you you mentioned organizational, and I think that's a big one of the big challenges when when you want to make the most. I mean, it's a, conceptually it's about scaling transformation within your organization, right? Giving additional insights, augmenting the understanding of the operation, so that you can optimize it, make it safer, uh, and and this means that you do reorgan. I mean, you do organize yourself to be able to take these insights and act on it. And, and, and it also means that you should use these insights to change the way you, would, you have usually operated. So, so there's, a, there's a big need, when you're driving such transformation, there's a big need to make sure that uh, together with the technology implementation, you have very, very strong buy-in from the operational arm of the company. And, and that there's also a very strong vision from the leadership as to the company they want to become. And what that implies in order, in terms of restructuring and accepting change on the way the processes are currently driven, on the way the operations are currently currently conducted. So, so when we engage with a customer, we always start by explaining that we love our technology and we could speak for hours, obviously, about it. But but, but in order for them to succeed, they have to make sure that they involve operation and they have to make sure that it becomes clear that this is more than just a technology implementation. So we work very agile, we work very closely with, with operations in our, in our projects. Uh, and it's it's still very difficult, right? It's because you're, you're talking about a, a real organizational transformation in order to reap the benefits of the type of insight we can provide. And the, the second, I mean, the, the second challenge which is in, in a way a lesser challenge, but, but but still present everywhere, is that you you're changing the perception of how technology has been has been deployed so far. So most of our customers are very much on premise, uh, with traditional IT and the separation with OT uh, operational technology, right? Uh, um, and we and we are coming and we're saying actually we're gonna you should actually combine these two if you really want to have a vision of what is happening, and you should move the data to the cloud. So you can imagine that that that, that creates a number of frictions when you make these statements. First of all, you're saying that we're looking at it as one data set describing the operation, not two separate silos or multiple separate silos as it happens. And the second one is that you have to accept that cloud will be your safest, <laughs> most resilient, and most scalable solution in order to conduct uh, what you what you are engaging with. And and this this obviously raises a lot of concerns and and from from the operation uh, from the IT operation. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think the, I mean, certainly the the you know the challenges of of scalability, extensibility, and agility are unmatched when you're when you're looking to support uh, yeah them with you know with with cloud technology. Yeah, uh, you absolutely. can you can really you can really mm -hmm. achieve everything. I guess the challenges, of course, are are orchestrating that um, you know the uh, interplay between edge computing and you know sometimes limited uh, bandwidth in you know between you know between the edges or the endpoints obviously and then these the centralized uh, repositories where you can do the 
you know the real heavy lifting. But again, we've got this 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 evolving art and uh, art and science of uh, you know combining the historical with the real time and the edge with the cloud. And uh, but it sounds like you guys are very much in the uh, kind of in 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 the in the thick of things. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 the. The edge is, a re- is absolutely a requirement, but we work with customers that are operating in in close to the north and south pole, right? So, uh, but but the, the, you still get decent enough satellite coverage to get to extract relevant data. You don't obviously get as much data, but but you do have enough even in these remote locations to uh, to operate. There are very few black spots on the globe right now, and and a lot of players, including SpaceX, are seeing to solve this. <laughs> Yeah, we just, uh, I just, I, we recently spoke with um, uh, Fleet Space, which is mm-hmm. de- developing these, uh, you know, I, I would say nano satellite enhanced, uh, you know, networks, you know, wide area networks. And, and it's uh, really amazing the, the, the applications and the use cases that are now becoming possible, um, and it's and it sounds like where where you guys sit is very close to the business value that that's coming from you know from the uh, from the application of of data and or the extraction of data from the physical the instrumentation of the physical world, which again is I think is one of these long term uh, long term secular trends that is going to keep a lot of people very busy for uh, for maybe even a few decades. So it's that's that's very exciting. Thank um, you. Would love to ask just a just a, a looking forward. I mean, how how you see the market evolving, and uh, just have you talk about where you're optimistic, and you know where you might have some uh, you know some concerns or, or whatever. What what keeps you up at night? Huh. So I mean, Cognite has been enjoying a, a tremendous growth in 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 our two and a half year of existence. We are two, over two hundred and fifty people, and and uh, that growth has been organic, uh, funded by. Uh, our revenue, so so it's been a it's been an, an incredible journey to uh, up to that point, and and we don't see this slowing down, right? So 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 we we believe that there is a, there's a massive opportunity for for a company that would be providing the the type of services that we are, and and, and by all means, I'm sure there would be other players, and there are a lot of a lot of smart companies out there. Uh, I, I I see, I mean, we see the adoption and interest across industry. Uh, and with big drivers around energy, uh, around manufacturing, where they have they have big challenges these days. Um, there's there's a question of of course uh, when you operate under under uh, constrained cash flow, and and if you see the macro picture slowing down, I mean there are some predictions there of of slowdown in several segments of of the. Um, of the industrial world, uh, then of course that would immediately impact our ability to, to convince our customers. On the other hand, that's that's the time when they should invest, right? So that's the time when they need to gain efficiency. So, so but but we know, and, and I know by experience, having worked in the media world, that that even though they know this is the future, it, it's very hard to to change and and not go not go the faster horses way, as as Henry Ford has been saying. It's a little bit more with a little bit faster with what you already have. So so that could of course have a, have a tremendous impact. All all the changes. Happening currently, and all, all the all the tensions happening with the with the, but the possibility of a trade war would would, would negatively impact Cognite and, and our customers and, and Cognite by by repercussion. Um, and another question mark, of course, is is uh, uh, how much are companies going to be willing to share? 
And because what we're doing is we're liberating data and we're allowing them to share and make use of it with partners and, and, and to create value. And, uh, and sometimes that message is understood on an intellectual level, but translating that into actual action is very difficult for, for some, of these, uh, some of these industrial players. And, uh, and if you do not accept to share and open to an ecosystem uh, that can help you creating value, uh, then effectively the value of the platform is going to be a lot less. So, uh, so a lot of what we are what we are proposing is based on the fact that uh, that data sharing. Uh, I mean, it doesn't mean sharing with everybody, obviously, but but accepting to make the data available for your partners and your suppliers in order to gain more insights uh, is is critical to to the success of a company like Cognite. Yeah, I think what you touch on also impacts the you know the value of an open source ecosystem and while mm-hmm. while sharing data isn't necessarily a, you know a true open it's it's not analogous uh, directly to an open source project i think the the concepts are very similar right that you have you do have people that are that are willing to to share what in the past might have been thought as you know, proprietary work proprietary data but if you know what what you're able to share in in aggregate results in a better experience for everybody there it it it, it certainly you know has it's certainly become uh, uh the you know the prevailing development model in a lot of areas of software right now i think uh um i think what you're arguing for as well as may take a little bit longer to uh, to materialize, but it's uh, c- compelling nonetheless. So, um, well, Francois, it's been it's been fascinating talking about you and and uh, and your your background and perspectives and uh, cog and co- learning a bit more about Cognite. Uh, would love to get from you if you have any recommendations or resources that we might be able to share with our uh, our listeners. Um, there's there is one resource that can I can think of from uh, from the get go, which is I mean, given the journey that we are that we are experiencing and, and the growth that that Cognite has been has been enjoying and and yet our drive to bring impact and and to be meaningful as a company, the uh, uh, whole Google works from Eric Schmidt's uh, 2014 book on that that he wrote has been has been really a very useful. Uh, a very useful reading for us as we as we have embarked on that journey. That and and, and a lot of other readings on on scaling and hyperscale of of, of companies. So uh, I would warmly recommend it as a tool, as a source of discussion, not necessarily as the truth in itself, but as something that we have used in the company and very openly discussed uh, in uh, together with uh, with the rest of, of my colleagues. Great. Uh, could you could you re- just repeat 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 that one more time? Sure. It's uh, how Google works. Uh, from oh, Eric Schmidt. Got it. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, that's um, uh, that's a terrific recommendation. I hadn't, uh, we hadn't heard that one before. So, looking forward to uh, to sharing that and diving into it as well. So, uh, well, that's that's a. But again, this r- runs us up to the uh, you know the end of our our time here. But again, this is uh, this has been Ed McGuire, uh, Insights Partner at Momenta, and we've been speaking with Francois Laborie of Cognite. Uh, he's the president of Cognite North America, and we appreciate uh, your listening. If you've gotten this far, and certainly if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Uh, thank you again, Francois. Thank you, Ed. It was great to be here. Thank you very much. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momentum Partners, and we thank you for 
listening to our Digital Disruptor series of interviews. For further information, please check the show notes as well as our website for more information on the innovations and innovators profiled here. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. 